Please remain standing for our gospel lesson, which is also our sermon text from Luke chapter 6. Again, give your ear to the gospel of our God. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that as we consider his teachings today on the kingdom, that you would give us grace to behold him and to be conformed into his image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to read you two lists, and I'd like you to ask yourself a question as I read them. And the question is, which of these two lists would I like to apply to me? Okay, you ready? Here are the two lists. The first list, poor, hungry, sad, and hated. And the second list, rich, full, happy, and liked. There's one. (laughs) I didn't get a response from other people. So if you're having a hard time deciding, I'll read them to you again. Okay, those of you that didn't laugh at that, you are the ones who read verse 25 about laughter, right? Woe to you who laugh now. Right? As I read the lists, I know that some of you are feeling very conflicted at this point. Because nobody wants to be poor, hungry, sad, and hated. We actually spend a lot of our time working, eating food, being with our friends, etc. We, we try to avoid these things that Jesus talked about 
in our first list. We know the right answer of which list do you want to be on. And we also know the right answer of what Jesus just said to us. He pronounced blessing on the poor, on the hungry, on those who mourn, on those who are hated. So we know the right answer both ways, but here is Jesus pronouncing blessing and woe, eternal woes, on exactly the opposite of what we would expect. If we simply read the Beatitudes, Luke, Luke's version, the Sermon on the Plain of the Beatitudes, here we start asking ourselves questions like, can anyone in middle-class America be saved? Should I sell everything and go live in a cardboard box? Is that what, what Jesus is requiring of me here? The more theological among us might say, well, is, aren't food and, and family and, and friends blessings from God that he promises to those who obey him and, and love him? What can Jesus mean by pronouncing blessings and woes on these two lists as he does here? What does he mean? Well, he can't mean that poverty, hunger, etc. Are, are blessings in and of themselves. That's not, that's not only nonsensical, but that's exactly the woeful state that he pronounces that, that some people will end up in. You will be hungry. You, uh, you will be weeping. So they're, they're not blessings in and of themselves. He can't mean that. The problem comes when we when we take Jesus' teachings like this and we simply lift them out of the context and make them into a checklist for entering heaven, which is what many people do when they read the Beatitudes. And that's not to say that Jesus' teaching here today is not challenging. It is very challenging. But we do need to step back at the, and look at the wider context and see what Jesus is doing here. In verses 17 through 19, which we just read, Jesus is teaching and he's healing a great multitude of people. But notice what it says in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He has a great crowd of disciples. He has a great multitude from all over and he has the 12 with him. And in verse 20, he says this. It says, then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and he said, Blessed are you, poor. Blessed are you, hungry. And so forth. It's not a blessing to be poor or hungry or sad or hated in and of itself, but it is a blessing to be his disciple who are poor or hungry or sad or hated because they've chosen to follow him. You can see the same thing in verse 22, where he says, Blessed when men hate you and exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil on account of the Son of Man's sake. Significantly in our context, Jesus has just chosen the twelve to be with him and to do ministry with him and to live in his manner of life. It's also significant that three of these twelve we just read last week in our gospel lesson uh, in Luke 5 that Peter, James, and John left everything, it says, to follow him. They left their income. They left their family. They left their food. They left their friends. They left all things in order to trust and to follow 
Jesus. And this state, Jesus says, is blessed. And so rather than seeing the Beatitudes as the rungs of a ladder in order to ascend to heaven, we ought to see these these four blessings and these four woes as elements of a portrait that describe those who trust and follow the Son of Man and those who trust and follow after the temporary things of this life. The prophet Jeremiah said something very similar in our Old Testament lesson, which we just read. I'll read it to you again. But I want you to notice the emphasis that Jeremiah put on trust. We just read this out of Jeremiah 17. He says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. That is, who puts his heart, his trust, his life into created powers, whether those created powers are economic or political or military or themselves. It's, it's putting your trust in a created thing. Conversely, he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. And he describes these two states as being uh, like a shrub in the desert or being like a tree planted by the rivers of water, the same image in our psalm reading today. That those who trust in the Lord will flourish spiritually, eternally. Those that trust in created things will, will wither and will end up ultimately perishing. And so the point that Jeremiah is making is the same point that Jesus is making, is where is your trust? The Beatitudes are not steps to being blessed, but they describe the blessedness of those that Jesus is looking upon, and by extension us, who trust in the Lord in whatever circumstances we have. They are not steps to living in blessed circumstances, but they are the blessing of those who trust in the Lord, whatever their circumstances might be. So while there's great comfort in the Beatitudes, Jesus is pronouncing blessedness over those who've placed their trust in him. There's also a challenge in that he is teaching his disciples and us the heart-level attitude that we ought to have towards the things of this life. And he is giving them a foretaste of the kind of life that he's calling them to. And so as we, as we walk through these blessings and these woes, we're going to, we're going to put them together. They, they are in parallel. There's a blessing for the poor, and there's a woe towards the rich, and a blessing towards the hungry, and a woe towards the full, and so forth. We're going to group them together and look at those. And as we do, keep in mind that Jesus is pronouncing the blessedness of those who have, who have decided to trust and follow him. And he's teaching us how we ought to look at the things of this life as we follow him. So let's look at these pairs. Let's look at the first one. In verses 20 and also in 24, he says, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So this pair is a little different than the others in that it's in the present tense. It says that the disciples who have left to follow Jesus, they are blessed now. The kingdom of God is theirs right now. In contrast, the ones whose desires are for earthly riches also find their consolation 
right now. So this is dealing with our values and what you receive in the present. Jesus is saying that if you are seeking the riches of this world, you, you can obtain them in some measure, that everyone can obtain them in some measure, but that is what you will receive. And he's blessing the disciples for having left everything to put their trust in him and to follow him. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Abraham tells the rich man as he is in torment, remember, son, that in life you received your good things. And now Lazarus, likewise, is being comforted. It's actually that same word, consolation, in, our, in, in the Beatitudes, the consolation of the rich. Lazarus received his good things in this life while, sorry, the rich man received the good things of this life while Lazarus, who trusted in the Lord and had his eyes on the kingdom of God, received the kingdom of God. The one who hopes in earthly riches typically does not rely on God. That is why it is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom, which is what Jesus says in Luke 18. The disciples have left behind their wealth and trust in Christ, and therefore they show that their desire is for the kingdom. This is the kind of heart that God desires. When he says, Jesus says later, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things, food, clothing, and so forth, will be added unto you. This was not just a teaching that Jesus gave, but it was the life that he was calling the disciples to live. Jesus himself was born into poverty. We read that in Luke 2 just a few weeks ago. And he said of his life that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Paul says of him later, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus teaches us the way to look at wealth, that it is temporary, and he also lived a life that did not seek after wealth, but sought after establishing the kingdom of God. So friends, blessed are you right now who have placed your trust in Jesus, for the kingdom is yours by faith in Christ. Jesus teaches us here not to set our heart on riches in any ultimate way, because following Christ will necessarily, at times and in varying levels, bring you into conflict with pursuing wealth. You may not be, like the apostles, called to itinerant preaching, traveling with Christ, giving up all of your material possessions to be with him, but there are times and places in all of our lives where being obedient to Christ and his commands will bring us into conflict with gathering wealth. It may be on a personal level in your job. If your, if your job, if your company is going to do something that is immoral or contrary to Christ's teaching, and you have to skip out on a promotion, or tell your boss that you won't do X, Y, and Z, and perhaps jeopardize your job. Following, following the Lord may cost you financially. Following the Lord may 
bring us into conflict as a church financially. Right? We know this, that there are times where there are all kinds of pressures that you may not teach on that. You may not say this or that. No, Jesus is calling us to a life of faith, of trust in him and faithfulness that if we seek first the kingdom, those things that are necessary for this life in a material way, that God will provide those things. When you see the prosperity of the wicked, when it seems like those who do not trust the Lord are on top of the world, there is a temptation to envy sinners. There's a temptation to trust in the flesh in the same way that they have. And you ought not think that you are immune to it. Ancient Israel was not immune to it. This is the larger context of Jeremiah's quote, that they were always seeking after military alliances with this country or that one, looking for security, bowing down to idols, hoarding wealth. I envied the sinner, the psalmist says, until I went to the sanctuary and considered their end. Consider the eternal, friends. Place your trust in the Lord. This is not only the teaching that Jesus gave, it is the life that he lived as an example for us. Let's take the next two together. Look at verses 21 and 25. He says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And in 25, Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. These two Beatitudes continue this description of, of the one who trusts in the Lord, who follows after God. That physical hunger is a daily, you know, for the younger of us, perhaps hourly, every 15 minutes reminder that we are not self-sufficient, that God supplies us physically. He keeps us going. Is Jesus, is Jesus saying that we're not to eat or that food is not a blessing? No, he's not saying that. But he is saying that all who feel that they have, that they feel that they have all they want and they suffer no lack, have a harder time understanding the, the necessity of trusting in the Lord. He's saying that following him will mean that some of your earthly desires go unfulfilled, at least for now. We think about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus again. It said that Lazarus was one who longed to satisfy his hunger. But the promise of that hunger being satisfied was not fulfilled for him until he died, until the afterlife. Likewise, weeping doesn't refer to those who have a grieving spirit, but instead people who are sensitive to evil sensitive to their own sin and the world's rebellion against God and the suffering that results. Whether that is the, the corruption that we still battle with ourselves daily, grieving for the sin of others and the destruction that it causes, or the effects of the curse in our world, like sickness and pain and conflict and death. 
Jesus himself often fasted and was hungry. He considered his food and drink to be doing the will of God, and he called the twelve, his disciples, and us to prioritize the kingdom even over their basic needs, if the situation called for it. Isaiah prophesied that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and in his time here on earth, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and over their hardness of heart. He also wept at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus. We are called to sorrow over sin, primarily our own sin that's still indwelling within us. To sorrow over lost souls and the effect of the curse in this world. To sorrow over the trials and the conflict and the death that still has sway here. This doesn't mean that we must be dour. Jesus was not a dour man on earth, but there is a kind of frivolity that seeks to insulate itself from considering sin and sorrow and sickness to, that, that prefers not to look at those things, but maybe to distract itself. We, we ought not to be those kinds of people as we seek to follow Jesus as he teaches us what life in the kingdom is. We need to look at sin and sickness and death and sorrow over it the way that Jesus did. The next one is hated and loved. Looked at verses 22 and 23 and 26. It says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. And 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. So notice that his teaching here does not say, blessed are you when men hate you and exclude you and revile you and slander you for whatever reason. That's not what it says, although some people do read it that way. There are those who have convinced themselves that any time they experience conflict in life, they are bearing the reproach of Christ. No, Peter reminds Christians in his epistle later that it is entirely possible for you to suffer for your bad behavior. However, there is suffering that comes to believers on account of Christ. And Jesus, who in chapter 4 already likened himself to a rejected prophet, and who increasingly experienced slander and hatred from the Pharisees, compares those who trust and follow him to the prophets of old who were mistreated. In response, he says, we ought not to pity ourselves, but to rejoice because, like the prophets of old, our reward in heaven is great. The disciples, the twelve that Jesus is speaking this to, fulfilled this in the book of Acts. It tells us they left the presence of the Sanhedrin after being beaten, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer, suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. The fact is that all of us, to one degree or another, will face rejection on account of trusting and following 
Jesus in this world and being faithful to his word. What does this look like in real life in America, in Springfield, in 2022? We are not likely, like the disciples, to be put out of church, to be beaten, to be imprisoned. But I know, even from talking with some of you recently, that you have told me stories about friends and family who would not speak to you for a long period of time because of your faithfulness to the Lord. That simply being in your presence was enough of a convicting factor that they were like, I do not want to be around you anymore. You may have a friend that, that says they don't want to talk to you anymore. You may have a boss or a coworker who will pass you over uh, for promotions. You might not get invited to every party. You may be hated. You may have people talk behind your back. These are slight compared to imprisonment and beating, but Jesus says, when those sorts of things happen, on account of the Son of Man, we ought to remember that this is the way that the prophets before us were treated. That this is actually the way that God was treated. When God himself came in the person of his Son, he was hated and slandered and talked about and excluded, and reviled. We can count on that as we follow him in life in the kingdom to one degree or another in a certain measure. And when we do, we ought not let it put us off. We ought to remember to rejoice and be glad, like the apostles, to suffer suffer dishonor for the name. We must remember that it is a privilege to do so. It is a grace that Jesus supplies us. And so all this time, as we, as we have been looking at the teaching that Jesus is giving his disciples, he's saying that they are blessed because they've put their trust in him over worldly things. The kingdom of God is theirs, and the kingdom of God is yours right now. This Sermon on the Plain is where Jesus teaches us to have put their trust in him about following him and life in the kingdom and what it will be like. And Jesus, we saw, has given himself as the example of how to live these beatitudes. But nowhere did Jesus live the beatitudes so completely as on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was reduced to utter poverty. Jesus said before that he was homeless. He had nowhere to lay his head. But on the cross, Jesus had even his clothes taken from him. Jesus on the cross was hungry and thirsty, as he says in John's gospel, I thirst. Jesus on the cross shouldered the wrath of God for you and me. There were no good feelings for him. On the cross, Jesus was despised and reviled and slandered beyond measure. And yet, on the cross, Jesus did not return reviling with reviling, but with blessing and forgiveness for his enemies, which is exactly what he says to do in Luke 6, 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. There he loved his enemies. That is to say, he loved you and me. And he prayed that the Father from the cross would forgive you and me. He showed himself, as it says a little ways down in verse 35, that he is the Son of God, who is merciful as the Father is merciful. Jesus not only lived the Beatitudes in his life and ministry, calling us and saying, this is what life in the kingdom will be like. But Jesus lived the Beatitudes on the cross, and he did it for you. Jesus did it to forgive you. They are not a stair step to heaven, but they do describe the life that the Spirit of Christ will work increasingly in those who put their trust unreservedly in him. Jesus endured the cross and lived the Beatitudes in a concentrated way there. Not only for you, but why? For the joy that was set before him. For the blessedness set before him, as it says in Hebrews. What joy was that? The joy of the resurrection. Eternal life, fullness, laughter, vindication. That's why Paul lays such weight on the resurrection in our epistle lesson. He says, if only in this life only we have faith in Christ, then, then what's, what's the good? Just a little ways down in verse 32 in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He basically says, if the dead do not rise, if God is not faithful to his promises, then yes, it is far more blessed to be rich and full and laughing and loved. But the dead do rise. We know this because Jesus is already raised. And that means that if you've trusted in Christ, then your faith is not misplaced. Your sins really are forgiven. It means that those who do not see beyond the things of this world really are tragically short-sighted and will be on the wrong end of the great reversal on Judgment Day. It means that you can interpret all of your suffering in the light of faith, the suffering that you are experiencing right now, whether that is suffering for the sake of his name or weeping over the effects of sin in your life or weeping over the effects of the curse in this world. That suffering is working in you a, a peculiar weight of glory to be revealed on that day just as it was for Jesus when he was raised from the dead to eternal blessedness. But it's also a reminder and a warning to remember that your time on earth right now is not the harvest, but the planting. Be the wise son of Proverbs who works during the harvest, who by faith views the things of this life, your money, your food, your time, your fence, your reputation, your bodies, all of it is seed corn. Do not eat the seed corn because the harvest of the resurrection is coming. A life of faithfulness means placing your trust in God and planting those things for the harvest to come. At the beginning, I read to you the two lists. Which, which would you rather apply to you? Let's, let's do the two lists a little more accurately. Which would you rather apply to you? Poor 
hungry, weeping, hated, and an inheritor of the kingdom, or rich, full, laughing, loved, and forsaken? To ask the question is to answer it. We're not, Jesus did not put these things in front of us in and of themselves, but for those who trust in him, he told us what life in the kingdom would be like. And by his resurrection from the dead, he gave us good hope of eternal life in order to live that life of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent your son on our behalf to be poor and hungry and despised and to take our sin upon himself and to rise from the dead, to bring us to you. Lord, open our eyes to see the grace of your son Jesus in life, eternal life in the kingdom. Help us, we pray, to take the things of this world and to view them in light of eternity and to use them to your glory and for joy on that great day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.